Welcome to Church Online. I am so excited that you have joined us this morning. I'm Pastor Matt. I pray that our worship will be exciting and uplifting. I pray that the ministry of the Word will work in your heart and that the Lord will do something special. Thank you again for joining us and enjoy the service. Jude, uh, Jude verse 10 and verse 11. Let's read it together and we'll do a little bit of review. Uh, how many heard last week's message? Anybody? A few of you. You guys got to go back and listen to that message. It was wild. Uh, we said a lot of crazy things uh, that I don't have time to really review in here, um, but you're going to want to listen to it. So let's read verse 10, verse 11. But these people blaspheme anything they do not understand. Anybody know anybody like that? <laughs> oh, that was good. Everybody's like, yep, uh-huh. These people blaspheme anything they do not understand. And what they do understand by instinct, like irrational animals, by these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, they have plunged into Balaam's error for profit, and have perished in Korah's rebellion. So there are three stories mentioned here. Uh, they've gone the way of Cain, plunged into Balaam's error for profit, and perished in Korah's rebellion. So there are three things that Jude is addressing here through uh, past human examples. So last week, uh, and remember this book, it's a short book, but there's a lot of content packed in there. Jude is writing a letter to the church about false teachers. And these false teachers... Uh, he is connecting to biblical examples. And if you think about it, like, remember his posture. He doesn't name drop. He's the brother, the half-brother of Jesus, and he says, I'm a servant of Jesus. He's the brother of James, the pastor of the Jerusalem church, probably the largest congregation, and he says, hey, that's my brother. I'm connected, uh, but yet I'm really just trying to serve you in this. I I'm just trying to help you because... There are those that are slipping in. There are those that are coming into the church, and, and they don't have good intentions. And there's examples, Jude is saying, of folks that have done this in the past. And so last week, we talked about the example of the watchers. Uh, let me say this just to bring clarity. Maybe some uh, have been confused as to my stand on this, but uh, it's not... Uh, the book of Enoch is not a part of our scriptural canon. It's not the 66 books of the Bible. It's, I don't view it as inspired, authoritative scripture. I don't. Uh, but the fact is, is Jude quotes it. Peter quotes it, talks about it. John quotes and talks about it. And it was, it was a part of their regular reading schedule, it appears. <laughs> and so, uh, just, just like any other... Uh, you know, understanding is history is important, right? And, and I view it more as like a history book in that sense where they're all using the same textbook. They're all reading from that same perspective. And if they're quoting it, reading from it, and they're all kind of on the same page of it, don't you think it would be helpful to read it? Don't you think it would be helpful to understand it? Yeah? Huh? Right, And so I don't view it as like, yeah, that's the Bible, and it should have been the Bible. No, there's some points uh, as to why it wasn't accepted as, as scriptural canon. 
not necessarily as its authenticity, but uh, there's there's some, I think just the fact that it wasn't, there, there's not a, a Hebrew copy available dates it a lot earlier than the rest of the Old Testament that was kind of in the same time frame. So we have a Greek manuscript. We, we are uh, familiar with that. And so it's, it's a lot later. You know, at some point it came a lot later. But the subject matter and material was known to the biblical authors, accepted, and they read it, and they all kind of like subscribed to it. You understand what I'm saying? And so my point to you is these, these guys were reading it. And they were exchanging it, exchanging thoughts from it. And so I'm not viewing it as canonical. I'm not saying this is part of the Bible and should have been. They made a mistake somewhere in the however many councils of the church. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, but I'm saying it's super helpful to understand. And so last week we dealt with the Watcher's story, Genesis chapter 6. Um, and these, whether Jude calls them angels that left their first estate, he is, he's literally connecting false prophets in the church to some of the first sins and first blunders that we know about on this planet. And so not only does he connect them to the unseen, the angelic realm where the Lord has created other uh, powerful forces. Paul talked about it, right? Uh, Principalities and powers, rulers, rulers of the darkness of this world. So other spiritual forces that left their first estate. Uh, Enoch, the book of Enoch, calls them the watchers, those angels that made a pact and came down to Mount Hermon and uh, mated with, with women, humankind, producing uh, this sort of half-breed. It's a pretty epic story and almost like some sort of comic book that you would read. Um, but once again, we talked about, do you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Yes or no? Okay, so if the majority of us believe that in this room, we believe in the supernatural. Crazy things happen. Uh, and we know, like, we, we feel the Holy Spirit move. We know that he moves. We know that it's real. Those of us that have experienced it. Uh, and so, really, it's just connecting the dots. And so, uh, even though you weren't maybe raised with it in Sunday school, doesn't mean it's not true. And doesn't mean that others didn't believe it. And so, Jude here, this guy, woo he believes it. And he's saying false teachers in the church are really just an extension of what the watchers did. That's pretty powerful, right? It's just powerful. Angels within the realm of the heavenly hosts that through their rebellion left home and chose to defy divine order. That's the same cloth that these false teachers are cut from. And, and then to add to that, there's an altercation that he refers to with Michael the archangel and Satan. Remember, I didn't get to talk about it too much in 9 a.m., but I did in here. And, and the fact that Michael the archangel doesn't blaspheme, or, or we would say this, doesn't disrespect Satan, that's right here in the text. What does that tell us? It tells us that Michael had respect for the position that Satan held that Satan didn't have respect for. It tells us that Michael wouldn't talk evil against the evil one himself because he knew where that evil one was created and for which purpose he was created for. And he said, look, that is God's, that is the supreme being, Yahweh's responsibility to judge you, not me, your peer. That'll, <laughs> that ought to help shape some theology right there. It ought to help shape our viewpoint. I mean, you got people renouncing demons and stuff, and I, and I think we have power over them, 
especially in certain contexts, but there's a reverence for divine order. There's a reverence for even if they, Satan, those angelic beings that left their first estate, even if they don't respect the position God made them for, we ought to respect it. We ought to know that God created things for a purpose. And so that reveals another element to false teachers. They are willing to break the rules. They're willing to do it their own way. They're willing to go against the order that God created and change it and manipulate it for their own purpose. Do we see that today? I mean, people are trying to make themselves into whatever they want to be. I mean, if somebody wants to be a cat, they're now a cat and must be therefore treated like a cat. I, don't, I mean, I can, you can't make this stuff up. Do you understand that you're seeing the order that God created things in? People are going, I don't want to be that order. I want to be this order. Or I want this order to be above that order. I'm a child and I don't want to listen to my parents. This fits a lot of, right? Things, of, of things that are going on within society. And so divine order was created. And, and this is a proof for your faith that things don't work out real well for people that go against divine order. So therefore, he ties angelic beings to false teachers. And then today, in verse 10 and verse 11, he's going to bring up three human examples <coughs> Uh, of three stories here that are in the Old Testament that will help us understand more of the problems that we face with false teachers. Now, there's two sides to this coin today, okay? One is saying, all right, I need this information to help me avoid false teachers. Do we, do we understand that? Right? I, I need this information because I don't want to fall trap, prey to uh, a false teacher. The other aspect, is, and this has been probably the bigger one for me this week, is like, I'm noticing these behaviors in myself. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I'm not saying, like, I'm leading you all astray. <laughs> you know, I see these behaviors in me. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. But, like, we all are sinners. We're all humans. And so if he's going to give human examples of people that uh, made some bad mistakes and the reasons why they did it, for me, I was like, this is a big gut check. Like, I could be that person. I can make those mistakes. And so we can see these three people and what they did. I mean, you can see yourself there. And so not only do we need to avoid these behaviors within leadership, but we need to avoid these in our own lives. Look, all of us are leaders in one capacity or another, right? Whether you're leading your family, your children, your coworkers, we all are in a position of becoming disciple makers. The Lord called us to make disciples. So whether or not you want to be in leadership or not, the Lord's called you to be in leadership. The Lord has called you to help somebody. This isn't no man or woman is an island. You understand what I'm saying? And so this is applicable for all of us. Now let's dig into these stories because I think they're great. Uh, not like great, but I think they're good, they're good stories. It didn't end well. Uh, the other aspect is this. Uh, inside the program, I put a ton of resources. So we're not going to read all the stuff that's in the program, uh, but you can have some of these 
uh, things for extracurricular study maybe this week, uh, maybe in your small group coming up, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but there's a lot of extra info uh, that we won't get to. So if you scroll down, if you're in the program, to the first part where it says the way of Cain, selfish, not selfless. That's where we're going to start. And all those stories are just to give you some background of the three that are mentioned. So we're going to keep going back to the text, if you have your Bibles, to verse 10 and 11, where it talks about, woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. And then we're going to go to the other two, but that's the one where we're going to start. So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 4, Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 12. And I'll read right now. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious and he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious? Why do you look despondent? If you do what is, what's the next word? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desire its desires for you, but you must rule over it. Cain said to his brother Abel, "Let us go out to the field." And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, "Where is your brother Abel?" He said, "I don't know," he replied. "Am I my brother's guardian?" Then he said, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed, alienated from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood you have shed. If you work the ground, it will never again give you its yield. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Now, if you don't know this story, the first uh, male and female created in scripture that we know about uh, is Adam and Eve, right? Uh, and, and they have a couple of children. And those first couple of kids, as we perceive and see the story, is Cain and Abel. So uh, we know that, uh, <coughs> excuse me, there were some mistakes, um, and they were driven from the garden. And at that point where sin happened, there was this system of sacrifices instituted and put into play, showing that when sin is there, when it is evident, when, when sin happens, right, they ate, Eve ate, gave to her husband, and he ate. They ate of the tree, one of the most elementary stories, right, that we all teach our kids or we learn in Sunday school. Uh, when that happened, saying yes to sin causes death and says no to something else, right? Are we all on the same page? So, Uh, Many people believe that there were animals killed to provide skin coverings for Adam and Eve when they left the garden, proving, showing that your decision to sin brought death, death to an animal. And so that sacrificial system continued, and it continued to grow and evolve, ultimately pointing to the Lamb of God, who would be in the redemptive story, the, the sacrifice for everyone's sin, right? So those sacrifices started in the beginning. And really, I mean, I've heard a lot of sermons on this. Like, I don't even know how many, right, Uh, growing up in church. But there's a ton of speculation as to why God 
accepted one and didn't accept the other. But here's what I know. The Bible doesn't tell us why. So everything is pretty much speculation, right? So I wrote in here, we don't know the exact reason why Cain's sacrifice was rejected. Every answer is speculative. And I don't care really who you are, just it's the way that it is. There's a ton of opinion. And my point is, make sure that we state what is opinion and what isn't. If someone says, this is why, it's their opinion. Because it's not stated. Anyway, this seems, right, it seems that Cain knew why. Why do I say that? If you look at the text, look at, um, look at verse number six. The Lord said to Cain, why are you furious? Why do you look despondent? If you do what is what? Won't you be accepted? In other words, Cain, you know why this didn't work out for you. Do you understand what, right? It doesn't say why, but it implies that who knew? Cain. Cain made a decision. He made a choice, right? He said, I'm going to do it my way, way, this direction, huh? Jude says, they've gone the way of what? Cain. Years later, using him as a prime example of what not to do, it's described as a path, as a way, as a direction. When it comes to false teachers, remember Cain and his direction. He was selfish, not selfless. And any time we start making probably small, minute decisions to serve ourselves instead of our purpose, we're on a path, we're on a way, we're on a direction that is wrong. So the first thing, the first teacher, the first false teacher comparison came, I'll say this, check your direction. Check your what? Direction recalculating check your direction why because it's not expressly stated as to why but but he knew and even what i love i don't love it but right the story god comes back and has a conversation god doesn't show up accept abel's condemn cain and say see you next year <laughs> what an idiot cain is God doesn't do that. God comes back. He circles back around and says, why are you salty? <coughs> Excuse me. Why are you salty? Why are you despondent? You knew what was supposed to be done. I was clear with my plan and, and what should have been done, and you didn't do it. Some commentators say that Cain, when he rose, rose up against his brother, these are the first two dudes on the planet, right? he might not have known what he was going to do to his brother would have killed him. That would also be speculation. If you think about it, nobody's died. It's the first point of, of death and their experiment with death anyway, right? So it's like, here's this element of sin entering in and then he rises up against and hits his brother and his brother dies. So there's, there's also this element that like, that, that was a whole new territory too, right? The first murder might have been more of a manslaughter. If you think about it. Anyway, that, that's just a, an opinion. Calm down. <laughs> uh, not mine. You know, this is one I read this week. But uh, I really know he murdered him. I saw it. I was there. Okay. 
Somebody's getting a little too much true crime on the podcast, okay? <laughs> Y'all are like, mm. how many listen to those true crime podcasts? I see you in the back. I see you over there. Yeah. Oh, my goodness gracious. Those things freak me out. I literally, after I listen to one for like a week straight, I sleep with my gun laying right here on my chest. Hey, did you hear that? Did you hear that? <laughs> did the dog move? Okay, no, we're good. Literally loaded gun right here. And the, the bad thing is, is I have more of a chance of killing myself because I'm sleeping with my gun than anyone who wants to come in and kill me. You know what I mean? I'm like, ah! <laughs> you know? But anyway, I, man, those things freak me out. Uh, anyway, I don't know where that came from. Cain killing his brother. So the first, the first thing that we, we see here with false teachers is direction, way. These, do you think Jude just chose these words willy-nilly? No. Way. Watch this. He says, for they have gone the way of Cain. We've got to think about this because Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. It's all about direction. And at some point, it's such a slow fade. It's such a small, you know, let's keep with the gun analogy, right? Because I like that. But if your optic is off just a little bit and you're only in like a 25-yard indoor range, the consequences of that might be small. But when you go outside and you're hunting and you're shooting at something maybe 100 yards away, you think the ramifications are more or less? You see, the Lord tries things. He tries you. He he purifies you. He's trying to walk you through a challenge and a trial so that you'll get dialed in when something really bad happens. And then when, it's, when you're put to the task and you didn't dial it in in preparation in your walk the way that you should have, you were doing it your way. The consequences are devastating. We lose a child because we didn't see the sin that we had passed on at an early age. We didn't see the minute changes in direction. Jude says, be careful. I'm seeing, I'm identifying the same way that Cain went. I'm seeing it right now. And it didn't end well with Cain. Number two, <coughs> Balaam's prophet. This is a weird story. I mean weird. How many have ever read about the prophet Balaam? Anybody? It's some strange things. One verse I want to point out to you is that the actual story where Balaam is prophesying, when I read it, because if you look, look at Jude's description here, number one is they've gone the way of Cain. Number two, they've plunged into Balaam's error for what? For profit. They've plunged into Balaam's error for profit. I went and I read the story. And I think it's Moab, Balak. I think Balak is the... Uh, shooting from the hip here. I didn't write it down. Uh, Balak is the counterpart who is trying to use Balaam. Balaam is a prophet. Essentially, God uses him uh, as a prophet. He's known as a prophet. And so the enemy, one of Israel's enemies, Balak, comes to the prophet and he says to him, Hey, bro, if I pay you handsomely, will you prophesy over them? to do something so that I can get an advantage over them? And it looks like in the story that he says no. It looks like he actually says no three times. 
Remember the story about Balaam's donkey? Anybody remember that? Where the dude's sitting on the donkey, and the donkey, he's like telling the donkey to go, and the donkey won't go, and there's an angel in the way. Isn't that interesting, too, that he was used in this illustration? But there's an angel there, and Balaam starts beating his donkey to go, and the Lord's like, you're an idiot. (laughs) The donkey sees what you don't see, the angel of the Lord that's there. And so multiple times there's within, I think it's Numbers 25, he's talked about in being pursued by the enemy to be used as a mouthpiece against the people that he's supposed to be serving, Israel. And it seems like, it seems like he wins. It seems like he doesn't give in. But then the very next chapter, the very next chapter, it says that Israel basically chases after these women. I I believe it's the Moabite women. Is it the Moabite women? Do you remember, Cody? Is it the Moabite women? You don't remember. He doesn't remember. I think it's the Moabite women. But the point, I think it's in the, I think I pasted it in there. But it says there in the very next chapter, it doesn't say Balaam did it. But it says that the Israelites chase these women and then God judges them harshly and kills a bunch of them for their fornication, right? Then there's this verse. A few chapters later, look at Numbers 31, 16. It's right there in your program. It says this. Yet they are the ones who at Balaam's advice incited the Israelites to unfaithfulness against the Lord in the pure incident so that the plague came against the Lord's community. So then we connect the dots and we see Jude says, not only have they gone the way of Cain, they've plunged into Balaam's error for profit. What we don't see in Numbers in the very next chapter, through tradition, we understand that they all knew that Balaam gave the wicked folks the idea, why don't you just send your women in? And tempt them to sleep with them. It worked for the watchers. He knew how to get them. At Balaam's advice, they fall to the enemy. So ultimately, Balaam ended up taking the what? He ended up taking the money. It doesn't look like it. And at first glance, it seems like a shift. But just a few chapters later, you see that that sorry sucker ended up going back and selling out God's people. What is, what is this thing of money? Have you thought about it? <laughs> Number one, there's a way, there's a path, Cain. You get on the wrong, you make wrong decisions, and we should teach our children this. You get on the wrong path, the bad, thing happened, bad things happen. But what about this? What about Balaam? Here's what I put here. Balaam's prophet, it tells us that we should not be motivated by money. You say, well, everybody's motivated by money. Right? Everybody's motivated by money. But what is the root of it? What's the root? You see, the love of money is the root of all evil. (laughs) Excuse me. I'm trying up here. Sorry, splash zone. Grace already has a cold, so we're good. What about her sister? I don't know. Anyway. Listen to me. We, we need to figure this thing out. It looked like he was serving the Lord faithfully, Steve. It looked like it was just, 
He said no to the enemy over and over and over again. But something happened in private that wasn't public. I think money reveals really who we are in private. We used to say this, character is who you are when no one else is around. Are we men and women of character? Look, this is not, I know this ain't popular preaching. You're like, Pastor, can't you just make us feel good? I just want to come in and feel good about myself. Or I'll give you 45 minutes, just make me feel good. Look, you need the truth, and so do I. And I was reading this this week, and I was like, he was a prophet. My man was given words from the Lord and shared those words, and he knew the Lord. He had conversations with the Lord, and he sold out the Lord's people for money. Sounds like somebody else. Judas walked with the Lord, was one of the Lord's 12 disciples. One of the 12 was a devil. (laughs) Sold for, what was it, 30 pieces of silver? Nailed it. We got to figure this thing out. We were working through this in the 9 o'clock hour. Have you thought about money, like, in in a transactional sense? What really is it? It's really a measurement for your life. Here's what I mean when I say that. Like, okay, if you work at McDonald's, you make $25 an hour. Is that what minimum wage is now? Right? Is that what it is? (laughs) That's what they want it to be. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You work at Mickey D's and you make $25 an hour. You work, you spend your what? Your time. We're getting there. You spend your time. What is your time? It's your what? No, we're getting there. You guys are getting ahead of yourselves. And me. (laughs) Time is your life. Time is the currency of all you really have. And we have a finite amount of it. And only God knows how much time we have this side of heaven. And, and the, James put it this way. He says, your life, we could say that's a measurement of time. Your life, it, it appears for a little while, a little time, and then what? Vanishes away. And if you think about it, how much of your time, how much of your life is spent to earn something to represent it? Here I am working my 40 hours at McDonald's, making $35 an hour. It goes up every quarter, okay? (laughs) Anyway, okay. 35 an hour. I'm working 40 hours. And I exchanged for money. And then your children and your family and your coworkers and everybody else sees what you value with what you take that you exchanged with your life and you put into that thing. Sorry, Maverick. I'm really loud. <laughs> look, look at me. Do not miss this. You're exchanging your life for profit, and what you spend your profit on is truly what you value. Some people value in putting your money in a hole. And I'm not against saving. That's not my point in this. My point is, is when money is the point. When profit is 
the goal, when the love of that is the reason, if there is not something else that is fueled by your money and your money is the fuel and is the thing that you are consumed by, you are miserable and you're a false teacher. No, I'm not. Yeah, you are. You're not teaching your children the right habits. If we, for instance, an example, when I see my children throw their coats on the floor, they don't eat their dinner, not that my kids ever do any of that. (sighs) Lord, help me in this moment. Holy Spirit, come. When they do stupid things, when they break things, here's what I say to them. You're trying to kill your dad. I'm really good at the guilt trips. I'm really good at it. (laughs) Dad, what are you saying? You're so weird. (laughs) You see, dad spent his life. I spent hours that I'll never get back for money to purchase that thing for you. And when you don't value that thing that costs me my life, you don't value my life. Therefore, you don't take care of your stuff. And look around. Look at society. Nobody's paying for anything. Nobody values anything. They throw their trash on the ground. They tear their houses up. Why? Because they're not theirs. It did not take their life investment pouring into something to create something that they could then invest in something else. They have no skin in the game. So therefore, their life means nothing. What's even worse, eh, the same, is when we work and work and work and receive and receive and go buy crap that doesn't matter. And on this side, we don't value the gospel. We don't give away. We're not generous. We don't help folks. I would say it's just as bad. I want to give of my life to earn value so that I can show what really is valuable to me. It's not my money. It's what my money can do in terms of life change, in terms of generosity, in terms of building something for a gospel-centered future. But when you do it for profit, there's no exchange on this side. The only exchange that happens is you lose your soul. And how many people have we seen that happen to? Man, it's heavy, isn't it? It's heavy for two reasons. Number one, you know it's true. And number two, it's heavy because people aren't thinking about that. You're just literally not. People aren't looking at their job as literally something that's spending their life. You have not connected the hours that you're spending. It's just a job. No, it's not. That's your life. If people consider that, maybe they wouldn't work there. Or maybe they would work and use and spend (coughs) a little differently. This thing of value Balaam ultimately chose money as his value. But a Christian should deploy money to what is valuable. Do you understand what I'm saying? You go the way of Cain, check your direction. 
You go the way of Cain, check your what? Direction. Hey, if you go the way of Balaam, Balaam's prophet, check your motivation. Check your motivation. Say it with me. Check your motivation. What motivates you? You ought to be able to connect. Let's use the, the, the thing of children. I was just on that illustration. You ought to be able to connect your kid not taking care of their stuff to the gospel. You think I'm stupid and crazy. You wonder why you have no power in your parenting? is because your parenting is not connected to the gospel. We're not creating robots. We're creating disciples of Jesus Christ. Them caring for their things, them living holy, making things last, being a good steward, all of those things are connected to the gospel. I'm raising disciples. Most of us are raising hellions. <laughs> wrong side, wrong team, right? Oh, well, they're just kids. <laughs> okay. Not mine. We make excuses for them. Check your motivation. You know, there's actually a reason to rear children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. There's actually a reason to fight your anger and to teach them. I'm not saying I don't get mad and angry. I got four of them. It's a lot of children in my house. (laughs) Y'all pray for me. (laughs) I got a good woman. It's very simple, but very hard to execute. Why can't I do X, Y, and Z? Because you're not connecting it to Jesus. He's the answer. Why can't I have fill in the blank? A good marriage? Why can't I have a gospel conversation at work? Why can't I get along with? Because you're not connecting those things to him. False teachers go their own way. False teachers worry about their pocket. Their motivation is not Jesus. It's themselves. Who's the third one? Korah. I'm only going to spend four minutes on this. Because I have two families that are joining the church at the end of the service. Do you see that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Last one here. Cora. Cora in his power trip. Woe unto them. <laughs> Woe unto them. They've gone the way of Cain. They've plunged into Balaam's error. Say, check your direction. Say, check your motivation. Number three, they have perished in Cora's rebellion. Number 16, 12 through 16, and the most important. Moses sent for Dathan and Abram, the sons of Eliab, But they said, we will not come. It is not enough that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness. I want to point something out. Leaving Egypt for some was leaving the wilderness. Leaving Egypt for some of the Jews was leaving slavery in a horrible situation. You understand? But also for some of the Jews, it sounds like they actually had it pretty good in Egypt. Sounds like they left the land flowing with milk and honey to go into the wilderness, and they didn't like the wilderness. These guys, Korah and his cousins, were cousins with Aaron. They were uh, close to the Levitical line in that sense. They felt like they deserved something because of their family. And from what it looks like, they created that for themselves, even in Egypt, when their other brothers and sisters 
we're living in the squalors. Do you see it? It's the reverse. It is not enough that you brought us out from a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness. Keep going. Do you also have to appoint yourself to rule over us? In other words, not only do we not have what we had in Egypt, but now you're telling us that you're the leader? He wants authority. Korah's power trip. Craving for position. Keep reading. Furthermore, you didn't bring us to the land flowing with milk and honey or give us an inheritance, which is what they wanted, of fields and vineyards. Will you gouge out the eyes of these men? We will not come. Then Moses became angry and said to the Lord, don't respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them or mistreated a single one of them. So Moses told Korah, you and all your followers are to appear before the Lord tomorrow, you, they, and Aaron. Here's what happens. A couple verses later, they appear before the Lord, and guess what happens? The Bible says that the earth opens and Korah and his followers are consumed. They die and perish in the earthquake. (laughs) Scary. They're power tripping. Korah was leading a rebellion. He wanted, he desired, and he felt like it was owed to him. Didn't you know, Moses, that some of us in Egypt had it pretty good? Isn't it funny? False teachers, false teachers will always in every season have abundance. They'll call others to living in scarcity. They'll call others. Isn't it funny? Benny Hinn can go to the third world countries and fleece them for money so that he can give them healing while he flies back to his $8 million mansion in Beverly Hills. How does that make sense? What a great group Weezer is. You know what I mean? What a great band. How does that work? How does it work that Korah is on some kind of power trip that he feels like he deserves? Don't you understand? You all thought, uh, and I can just imagine seeing him saying like the words as they're coming out of his mouth. We had it good in Egypt. And all the peasantry that were being whipped and pushed to slavery. False teachers don't know what it's like to go without. And they feel entitled to their position. I want to point you to what, what reality is. Listen to the apostle. Let me just preface by saying this. Our society, our culture has got it so backwards. Right? They, they, Philippians 4.13 finds its way on every t-shirt. Does anybody know what that says? Come on. I can do all things. So whichever version you have. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me, who gives me strength. Typically, it's in a Facebook post where people are saying, like, I can do whatever I set my mind to do. Like, the Lord's going to give me strength. And, and, like, I know I'm being sarcastic on purpose. <laughs> Excuse me. Because I don't like that. I don't like people saying, I'm going to use the Lord to co-sign for all my wants and desires. The Lord's going to give me my desires of my heart. And so I'm going to get it all, and I'm going to pursue all of it, and the Lord's just going to give it to me because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. (laughs) 
Do you understand what I'm saying? That's how the culture takes that message in that verse. How about we read the verse before it? Are you ready? Are you, you guys ready to hear the context of Philippians 4.13? Here's Philippians 4.12. You ready? Paul said this, I know how to make do with little. And I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. <clears throat> whether well fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Does that sound like the culture's message? Oh, someone tell me I'm good enough to go chase everything my heart desires and God's going to give it to me. Or is it saying, you know, life is full of highs and lows, and it doesn't matter if I'm on the mountaintop or in the valley, the Lord is with me. And I can be content up here or down here. It ain't about chasing anything except the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm, I hate those Facebook posts. I can do anything. You can do anything except be content, apparently. You can do anything except, I don't know who I'm fighting here, this alter ego. <laughs> you get it. It's the culture. <laughs> Cora is saying, what is, I could swear to you right now in this moment. Ah, it's 1224. I'm coming, I promise. I could just see Cora in his little scarf and his Starbucks PSL. <laughs> Paul, or Paul, <laughs> Moses, wrong big biblical character. <laughs> Moses, it's really hot out here. Egypt was amazing. We had this thing called plumbing and pyramids. We had the peas of success. Prosper. Moses, this is awful. And then on top of that, you just dubbed yourself the leader of all of us. I can just see him throwing his scarf. <sighs> And my coffee's cold. It's cold. <laughs> Here's the last thing we need to check. You need to check your heart. If you believe that you deserve something, you're wrong. Everything you have is a gift from the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you think you're something because you've got something, you're wrong. Because people who have something and people who don't have anything are both image bearers and both loved by God. And God will reveal himself in both for both people in both different uh, sets of circumstances for different kinds of people. It doesn't matter. You're not defined by your bank account, by your possessions. And if you go back to point number two, Balaam, you're wrong if you're exchanging your life for those things that will not bring you value. Check your heart. We have got to win this thing. False teachers are corrupting the church, and they're corrupting your mind. It is not about you and what you have. It's about him and who he is and what he has done for you. Jesus makes us all all-stars because of what he did, and he is giving what he did to you. Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments, send us a message, and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week, and God bless.